Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. This podcast seeks to give a voice to real people around the world who are attempting to stay free, stay sovereign, and stay sane in a world which is changing faster than ever. In this episode, I talk with Imran. So me and Imran actually go back quite a long time. I would say we've probably been friends on Twitter for at least four years, maybe five years. And back then we used to kind of share thoughts and ideas around particularly Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Um, but also we used to discuss veganism um, being amongst the very few people in the kind of Bitcoin or crypto community who are also vegan. So it was really great to actually be able to sit down and have a conversation with Imran after kind of speaking only through Twitter for so long. We go into a variety of different areas. Um, I apologize if this one is a little bit all over the place. We kind of discussed a few different topics and at one point we kind of finished the recording and then decided there was another kind of avenue we wanted to, to go down. So it's a little bit stitched together. So I hope that the conversation flows. It's taken me a little longer to get this one out compared to when I actually did the recording. You'll notice that we mentioned that Omicron has just been discovered. So that really just shows you that this is kind of coming, um, you know, around two months later than I hoped it would. So I apologize for that. I am trying to narrow that gap between uh, recording these episodes and putting them out. But that said, I don't think it affects the content. And I hope you enjoy the conversation as always. And if you have any feedback, reach out on Twitter. So Imran, we go back quite a while, at least in the Twitter sphere, and we used to talk to each other about um, crypto stuff. And more recently, we've been talking to each other about everything that's going on politically and with coronavirus and all this kind of thing. So um, we'll obviously get into that, but can we just get a brief introduction um, into you, first of all, and kind of a bit of your background? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, by the way. It's it's great to meet like, many people in this space, and, and especially when it kind of lines over two things, right? Um, for me, uh, my background, I won't take you too far back. Um, I'll just kind of take you to start up my crypto journey. I uh, started in 2016, um, just before the, all of the hype kind of kicked up. And um, I've been working for, I used to, well, I joined a company that was uh, mining Bitcoin here in Toronto. And um, we ended up getting caught up in the uh, in all the activity and all the hype. Uh, ended up raising two rounds um, to fund the initial uh, kind of batch of, of miners. And then we ended up going public in January um, of 2018, just when it all kind of came falling apart. And um, we didn't raise enough money just before all the hype died down and we weren't able to find our next four years of development or four years of like uh, operations to get by through the uh, kind of bear market. Um, so from that point, um, um, the kind of company kind of started falling apart. We got purchased by another uh, company called um, uh, Hyperblock. Um, and then all of us kind of got laid off over the course of that year into 2018, at which point I started getting more into the DeFi space and what was being built in that kind of arena. Um, and we started DeFi Toronto in 2019, late 2019. Um, and I've just kind of been in the more Ethereum crypto space or sphere since then, uh, working with different DeFi projects and that kind of stuff, um, and, and going into the more, um, um, shit coinery, if you will. 
<laughs> which we can talk about. Um, yeah, I guess while we're on that, you accept it shitcoinery or do you use that more tongue-in-cheek? Uh, I think tongue-in-cheek. I mean, I, I, I listen, one of my good friends who actually started a group with us, um, yeah, Jesse, he wrote, um, he wrote a book about Bitcoin and, and really kind of fell into the Bitcoin rabbit hole versus the DeFi space. And, and we kind of go back and forth, but I think... I think everybody has their own opinions about stuff, but I think you have to kind of um, go in with open mind if you're in this in the space about what's being built, as opposed to like the dynamics behind the the, the economics behind all this stuff. So I go more from perspective of I want to build cool stuff, and who's building cool stuff, and it happens to be some of the Ethereum guys. So um, it, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I, I'll, I'll save the debate about Bitcoin versus Ethereum for another yeah, time for sure. um, because uh, I do want to talk about some other things and uh, I know that we could go on that subject forever. But um, yeah, I guess um, just to kind of give a little background of how the two of us first, first started talking. So yeah, it was initially about the uh, kind of crypto stuff and I guess that was probably similar because similar for me as well. Uh, 2016 was probably around that time and um, I had a few followers who were basically Bitcoiners or, or crypto crypto guys. Yeah. The other thing that we have in common is that we're both vegan. So do you want to give a bit of a backstory about that? Oh, yeah. So um, uh, I guess it was, I, I became, oh, I converted to being a vegan, I guess, eight years ago, um, 2013 or 2014 it was. Um, but generally just me and my wife, we watched, uh, I think it was Forks Over Knives at the time. And we're like, well, you know, why don't we, uh, why don't we give this a try? Uh, and we just kind of, kind of committed to it for one month. Um, and uh, you know, after that month, yeah, I felt amazing. I, I was waking up earlier. I had a lot of energy. Um, I just felt, it felt kind of natural. We just kind of ended up kept, kept going and, and, and over that time, I watched other documentaries, of course, like Game Changers, and and there's you know it's, it's so many of them, Dominions, all that kind of stuff. And you kind of get into the whole backstory of, of why you want to want to do it, and just just solidified in my mind that um, my body felt good, it felt right mentally, and and uh, I haven't looked back ever since. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because it seems to me that the community of vegans. I mean, I don't know all that many, but certainly seems to me that there's quite a lot who um, are on our side, so to speak, when it comes to the uh, coronavirus stuff. Is that your experience as well, or or is your experience different? Yeah, totally. I think a lot of them, a lot of people on Instagram specifically. I feel like a lot of a lot of you know the bodybuilders, the people that work out often, that take care of their body. And I think naturally, food is if you take care of your body, I think you eat generally more plants so i don't think anybody disagrees with that um so i do feel people that care about their health and care about their well-being and obviously who are vegan um understand that they, they want to question whatever is put in their bodies whether it's good or bad for them and they, they they do tend typically dive deeper and not accept what's the narrative right um and, and the funny thing i find about the crypto space is it's so like carnivore focus yeah as as though like carnivorism is like counterculture whereas it's not really like i feel like in crypto everyone's kind of 
counterculture or you know leaning in one way or, or very like new thinking but in that respect there i feel veganism almost is is kind of counterculture even though it's being promoted now more um i i, th- I think it's 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 unusual still um and, and i thought the crypto community would embrace it a little more <laughs> but i think it's been it's seen as like non-macho or, or or like you know um they derogatory refer to people as soy boys, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I've generally found though that the carnivore people tend to be a lot louder, but there are a lot of uh, vegans in that community because I, I kind of quietly just, you know, keep an eye on it, you know, like uh, whenever I'm kind of interacting with people, occasionally I'll be like, ah, oh, that person's got like Bitcoin and vegan in their bio or whatever, or maybe they've put a, a tweet out and they've retweeted something by and you know, an, an animal organization or something. And um, I, I think there's a lot out there, honestly. Like I, I would say that there's probably just as many vegans in the community as the carnivores, certainly like proper, proper carnivores. It's just that they're not as loud about it. Um, oh, but, you know, in, inter- interestingly, like I think that both groups, I would say, are kind of united. It's kind of like, you know, the the, the shaking hands meme. Yeah, That's yeah. kind of where we are with this stuff because it's kind of like, the carnivore people, they generally are quite distrusting of traditional, uh, you know, certainly the traditional diet, but even kind of traditional uh, like allopathic medicine and that kind of thing. And similarly with kind of vegans, you know, you, they, they don't um, believe that the standard diet is uh, is healthy, etc. They believe obviously extremes to each other, but they certainly believe there's lies being told. And um, one of the things that I've found when I've gone to the protests and things like that is that you've got this weird alliance going on in like not just amongst kind of vegans and, and and carnivores, but between like extreme hippies and, you know, extreme kind of um, like more, more kind of like, I wouldn't say extreme right wing, but quite right wing people. Like when I go to these protests, you've basically got like the, the you know, real Brexiteer kind of, you know, um, anti-government kind of people. And then you've got like the total hippies um, who were both marching together. And I think that's great to see. And that's kind of one of the things that has always made me believe like we're going to win this is because these <laughs> groups have kind of come together. Yeah, totally. I, I've seen that too at events in Toronto. It's like, it's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Um, and you, it's just, you, you wouldn't see, like we had good Christians at the event. We had like evangelical like people. We had like, you know, Muslims there. We had like every sort of like hippies, like you said, and, you know, crypto people and they kind of just a smorgasbord of people that are fringe. But I think what we all have in common is that we think for ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, that's that really is at the end of the day our our unifying um message, right? Or belief is, you know, do what's right for you or you know, what makes sense for you. Yeah, but I guess also uh if you're like an ethical vegan and you believe in the right of animals to their own right to live and that is kind of an extension of bodily autonomy really it's like the ultimate body bodily autonomy is are you giving the right to live and um you know i i i put a tweet out at some point where i was basically saying you know it's interesting that i'm being called selfish by people for not taking a vaccine who are trying to get me to take a vaccine um Whereas I've been advocating for veganism, which is trying to advocate people just stop killing animals unnecessarily, unnecessarily for like years. And, you know, like you'll know because you kind of like we were following each other before all of this 
kicked off. Like that was probably the thing that I was tweeting about more than anything, actually. <laughs> like it was that. And oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, say, I would say like veganism was probably half of my tweets were like vegan related. And uh, right. now I'm being now I'm being called selfish when you know like as it's you so know funny. like if you if you don't eat animals like you you make um, sacrifices for that and it's not a sacrifice in the sense that oh I really want to eat them but it's like you make sacrifices in terms of your convenience and you know your like socially etc like there is sacrifice there and now yeah, people are, sure. are, are saying are saying that people like us are, are selfish and it's like okay well you know I've kind of I've been living my life in the, in accordance with the same principles for for years on on that side of things. So, yeah. like, Nothing's changed. <laughs> uh, are people in your family as well the vegan, or they they've they've joined you, or um, they've kind of just? Yeah. So my my mum now is vegetarian. She's like quite close to being vegan. I was like she's most of the way there. And because my mum does most of the cooking, my dad is. Um, forced to. <laughs> yeah, he he yeah he's he's kind of forced. He's kind of forced, but he he's happy to he's happy to eat. So he eats a very highly vegetarian diet, but he's not actually um aligned with the philosophy um but right. yeah that's it it's mainly mainly mom. actually my my auntie and uncle now they generally eat a, i think they might still eat some meat but it must be very very low i think it's almost entirely vegetarian so it's happening it's happening and amongst my friends i don't know if you found the same thing but like it was almost my friends who i la- like least expected to go vegan were the ones who did <laughs> oh really eh? I, we've i've had no friends that <laughs> that have tried it out they've tried it out but they haven't stuck with it uh for for very long oh man really okay well um yeah i had uh there's uh there's one friend in particular like he'll he'll know if he listens to this who i'm talking about and uh, yeah he he used to be the guy who would tease me the most about the fact that i wasn't eating meat and this that and the other and now like you know he's like very very solidly uh vegan What, what changed for him i think he watched um I don't know whether it was Earthlings or it was it was it was one of these documentaries that that he watched, um, and I think he went through a similar journey to me, which is like started on the ethical thing, but like when I first started um, getting into the ethics of it, um, after that I was like, oh, but you know, surely it's not possible. Like, surely it's not possible to not eat meat, etc. And then I started following kind of like vegan, you know, nutrition people and fitness guys and stuff, and very quickly, I, very quickly, I realized, okay, actually this is completely viable. Like it's not just, you know, some kind of um, weird thing that is ideologically a good, you know, ideologically correct, like we shouldn't kill animals, but is is not um, capable of being practiced. I realized, okay, it actually is capable of being practiced as well. Yeah, and I feel like, I don't know if about you, but I feel over the years, my, my gut bacteria has just changed and what I enjoy is not the same as what I used to enjoy completely um so even when i first when i first transitioned i was eating a lot of more junky vegan food you're probably the same way uh where i was eating like you know beyond meat and like eating like chicken just the fake chicken that kind of stuff but as you as your your, your microbiome changes and you actually start enjoying like just whole foods like, you know hummus and dips and that kind of stuff and like oatmeal and that kind of thing and, and i think people don't give themselves enough of a chance to like um let their body adapt to the new, the new way of eating. And I think they, they, they kind of miss out by, by leaving too early. I had that experience as well. Like you, you crave things initially, but before long you, you stop craving because your gut biome changes. This is why, you know, a lot of these people who say, Oh, well I tried veganism for uh, whatever it was like a month or something. And uh, 
I mean, a month is a long time compared to what most people say. They, they're like, oh, I did it for a few yeah. days, didn't work out. But, you know, e- even a month, it's like it's probably um, your gut bacteria or whatever. It's, it's not changed enough for you to, to, to not have those cravings. But eventually you just don't crave it. Like, you know, I don't crave it whatsoever now. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if you know this, but when I, when I first, or if you had the same issue, when I first transitioned over to being vegan, I actually lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. because my body wasn't able to break down the same stuff that I was eating beforehand. So I really wasn't getting the nutrition that I needed. And, and since then, I've I obviously gained back the weight. But there was that, that period where, you know, when somebody tries vegan food, and they're like, I'm starving. You know, you know mm-hmm. that? They're like, I'm still, this, this, this food's so empty, uh, I want to eat again. But it's because their body isn't adapted to the plants and eating in such quantities that they aren't able to get satiated Um unless they, they kind of wait for a few months to to make that uh, adaptation, right? Yeah, totally. And, and also, you know, you have to eat more. Like some people are like, oh, I'm going to go vegan. And then they'll have like a sandwich for lunch or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm going to get some vegan sandwich from the, the shop. And it's like, that's not going to yeah. be enough. Like you have, to tr- you have to eat more for sure. Because at the end of the day, it's less calorie dense. Hundred percent, right? So, like, you should you should eat, you should naturally eat more. But there's nothing wrong with that, you know. That's not like, oh, well, the vegan diets fail because you have to eat more. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, you. It's exactly the same as you could be eating a a, a normal diet, and um, if you just have like, I, I don't know, um, you have a, a small amount of meat or whatever, um, you're still gonna have to eat other stuff to compensate for it. It's just like, how much do you? How much do you have to have to eat to kind of make sure you get your calories? And that's really the main factor you have to worry about. Yeah, for sure, man. So now most of my followers are people who are all on the more political side. Um, not everyone, um, but a lot. And uh, I've actually lost a lot of my old followers. Interestingly, not so m- many of the kind of Bitcoin or I'll uh, hesitate to say crypto people, but I guess uh, they, some of them will be crypto people as well. Um, they actually probably is some of the only people that I've kind of brought with me on this journey. Um, because a lot of other people, a lot of people in that um, environment, in that world seem to get it. Uh, is that something you've noticed? hundred percent. I would say I've not only lost followers on Twitter, I've also lost friends and family in real life. And I'm sure you can relate to, to that. I think people who are involved in crypto since the beginning, especially who have kind of understood the problems with money, the problems with, governments and problems with society who read the books like sovereign individual they all kind of understand it's it's beyond being about money we've we've kind of all made it we've all been fairly successful we all i think are now looking at other problems in the world and like saying there's other problems that, we did that are bigger issues the societal problems and and the people that get it, they just get it. And, they, and they've shifted away from just about Bitcoin, about price going up, all that kind of stuff. And they've shifted to talking about, okay, what about society at large? What if the people outside, we can't go outside and it's dangerous outside because you know we've created this massive inflation and people who are below us or people who are in, in lower socioeconomic classes, they're struggling to make, make uh, ends meet, pay, pay for food, all kind of stuff. And then, and then to the COVID stuff, being locked into our to homes and that kind of thing, and and it feels like people that truly care about decentralization and, and the principles of Bitcoin have shifted their, their their focus. And I think it's just the nature of of 
of being open-minded and, and worrying about the real problems in the world, right? Which is one of the reasons they joined crypto in the first place, because they saw the problems and joined before the price was going up, right? Yeah, I guess we all seem to know that at some point we were going to have this um, reckoning in society. And we've been very aware of the kind of problems that fiat is causing in the world. And we all knew that some kind of collapse was coming and we didn't necessarily know exactly what it would look like. But now that it's here, it's it almost seems like exactly what we should expect. You know, governments going into complete overdrive, just lies and manipulation um, everywhere across society. Governments trying to have more control over their populations. I mean, this is kind of exactly what we expected to happen um, when um, this kind of fiat bubble was starting to come to a to a head or had come to a head. I would I would say that we're probably at that point now where in the next couple of years we're gonna we're already starting to see things go into kind of exponential craziness. Like the clown world has gone exponential, and this seems kind of about as uh, about what we expected. Yeah, I would say it was a little more messy than we probably all ex expected. We, we kind of thought the transition would be, I think at least in my mind, I thought that transition would be um, not as ugly um, and not as obvious to like us versus, versus other people. But it, it kind of, every day, I don't know if you watch the Clown World News, you follow that guy. Oh, yeah. You just, you just the sheer insanity that comes out every single day is just beyond comprehension. And I don't think one people outside of Twitter don't really pay attention to it, which is probably better for their mental health. But at the same time, um, it's, it's from all corners of the world, right? It's not just one place. Um, it's kind of happening everywhere at once. And the speed that it's happening at is quite terrifying. Um, especially today, talking about compulsory man, uh, uh, mandates for vaccinations in Germany. Um, Austria's already shut down and that kind of stuff. And, you know, funny, two, three months ago, I was really like negative about this stuff and, and kind of um, really like in the weeds with it all. And I've been forced just for my mental sanity to take a step back from it all and understand like there's some craziness going on. But at the same time, we can't, I can't change a lot of my family and friends' mentality about this stuff. And I kind of have to accept that it's kind of going to all fall apart. You know what I mean? I have to just kind of live with it and, and kind of make my own corner of the world. You know what I mean? As opposed to like trying to talk about it and warn people because no one really cares besides, you know, a handful of us. So, yeah, that. Definitely. I've been more positive, actually. It's not just that I've been kind of stoic about things. I actually feel like it's probably something that the world needs to go through is we need to actually have our governments laid bare in front of us because so many people have trusted these governments for so long, completely unjustifiably. And now we're kind of seeing them rear their true ugly face, right? And it's just so obvious. I mean, this stuff that's going on with the boosters right now and mandating vaccines and, oh, you know, like the first two vaccines are totally effective, but if you've already had the first two, they're not effective and you have to get the booster now. And it's just, everything is so, so obvious that if people can't see it, I mean, I really don't know what to tell them, but I do think that people are waking up and this is something that we're going to have to go through as a society. We need to go through this kind of period of um, just completely getting rid of all of our trust in governments, because this is something that's kind of been holding society back from really progressing in my view for a long time. So I'm 
kind of optimistic from two points of view. One is that, yeah, we're going through this difficult period, but at the other end, we will hopefully be kind of better for it and we will, um, you know, not have this um, undue trust in governments. And equally, it's just the awakening is starting to happen in my view, right? So like, um, I, I just feel like compared to six months ago, there's a lot more people who are kind of on our team, so to speak, because it's just being made so obvious. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that old Stanley Milgram experiment, right? You have 70% of people that will just follow blindly what uh, the authorities say, and then 30% of people that are just kind of, no, this is not right, or they had to think for themselves. But um, I, I'm not seeing the exact same thing in Canada. <laughs> um, most people here are kind of ignorant to what's going on. If you go to the States, it depends on where, where you are in the world, right? Uh, in terms of um, people's mentality to all this stuff. But I do think that we are kind of in an awakening period. Even like when I talk to some friends who are here, they won't speak about it publicly uh, about what they're feeling and what they're going through, but they'll tell me this is all stupid and, and ridiculous. But the question is, you know, what if we can't depend on these institutions that we've been depending on for the last hundred years, well, what kind of replaces them? In uh, that transition to what replaces them is is really the, the kind of scary part. Um, it's, it's the unknown, you know what I mean? Um, there's nothing to fill that gap. Um, like when we're transitioning from the church to like um, separation of church and state, right? We're, we're able to do that because the state was behind it. And we kind of transitioned away from the, the church. But like what's going to be left in the gap that's left by the state um, is, is really an interesting um, dilemma, right? Yeah, well, I definitely think that that's a question that a lot of people are thinking about now is how do we kind of bridge that gap? But I actually think that people seem to be taking proactive proactive steps towards that now. I mean, I think that the kind of Bitcoiners and um, maybe, the, maybe the crypto people um, are making those um, steps as well. Like we seem to be ahead of the curve, essentially. But, um, you know, we, we generally tend to kind of be on the leading edge of things. And I'm sure that um, larger society will follow. I mean, you've got other people who have already been, I guess, maybe you'd term them preppers or something, who have kind of been saying, hey, I need to grow my own food. I need to, you know, like collect my own water or whatever it is, generate my own electricity, etc. Um, so you've got, you've had some kind of crazies on that um, end of the spectrum, or, you know, I use the word crazies in um, inverted commas here. And then you've also got um, the, the kind of you've got another group of people now who are coming into that world, essentially, like the kind of Bitcoiners and the crypto people, they tend to, you know, we're starting to get a bit more towards the prepper side. And I think that the whole of society is moving into this phase now where we recognize that we need to be more self-sovereign because we just cannot rely on these institutions anymore. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I haven't started prepping myself, but I, I do have ambitions to, you know, get a farm one day and, uh, and then grow my own food and that kind of stuff. And, we're also considering moving west to, to Calgary um, to kind of take advantage of the lower cost of living, a slower lifestyle. And I think there's definitely a mentality of like, okay, fiat, the fiat world makes you work harder, faster, more competitive, uh, kind of just racing, racing every day, right? Whereas the Bitcoin community, because of in the soundness of money, because you're able to um, kind of save your time, if you will, in, in Bitcoin, you can kind of, um, uh, you have that mental clarity, that mental space to just let life slow down a little bit. 
Um, and I think that slowing down really makes me want to just appreciate other things in life. I just had a kid as well. Congrats. Thanks, man. Yeah. And all those things together kind of make me want to, to take a step back and not worry so much about just always, you know, go, go, go kind of thing. Yeah. hundred percent. So why is it you've chosen Calgary? Um, is it just because there's more space or do you think that out West they've got a bit more of a kind of libertarian type, um, attitude? Yeah. I mean, nothing said in stone yet. My wife's business is still in, in Toronto and, and we haven't made the transition yet, but we're certainly looking, but, um, I don't know if you know Canadian real estate has become stupid expensive, mm-hmm. um, like everywhere in the else in the world. But this year, I think year over year, I just saw a stat that prices in Toronto are up 30, 30%, 30% year over year for like real estate, which is ridiculous. And then if you look at just the lifestyle here, everything is very com- congested, very compact. Um, it's hard to get anywhere in the city. Um, I feel like people's because of the the kind of the environment we created for ourselves, where it's so busy, people don't want to spend too much time with each other. They don't take that second to like enjoy company, enjoy life, because um, they're always on the go. And I and I don't want to be in that mental space. Um, so that's why we're considering to move to Calgary, which is a smaller market. But because we both, me and my wife, both kind of work online, we're not really beholden to any sort of you know jurisdiction. Um, and yeah, there is, I mean, the, the community out in Calgary is a lot more libertarian, I would say, uh, but only so far as Canadian society takes you, right? It's kind of a socialist kind of country. So it definitely seems that way. I, I've been extremely surprised to see how things have gone in, Can- I guess, both Canada and Australia, but at least in Australia now, we're seeing these massive, massive protests, um, which is kind of better late than never. But I honestly, I haven't seen that much coming out of Canada. Um, the protesting, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's not really because there's a, there's a complacency in the system. You know what I mean? Where people are, everyone here owns real estate. Okay, everyone is basically they're buoyed up by, um, by their real estate values. Do you know what I mean? Um, right. It kind of supports our whole economy. It, you know, provides all the jobs through like the private sector, through, you know, real estate agents and through the banks who issue mortgages. And it's kind of like this whole Ponzi scheme and everyone's kind of winning, right? When no one's really losing or no one has lost for a long time, <clears throat> they don't want to make changes. And I think unless you take people's money away and take people's like food away, they don't really, a lot, a lot of things slip, you know, they don't really care about a lot of these problems. They have their day-to-day worries and stuff like that and they don't want to, have to think about this extra stuff right so i think if if the market here was to correct and like a lot of the economy kind of hits a recession like we had in the us in in 2007 then i think the mentality here might change and do we'll see a lot more protests and that kind of stuff and i sure it's the same in australia as well yeah it's funny though because in the uk we actually had quite a generous kind of package when they when they like shut the businesses and things like that we had like this thing called furlough scheme. I'm not sure if you um, called it by the same name over there, but essentially the government were kind of giving people relatively generous amounts of um, money and things like that. But we still had a very big protest movement, especially at the beginning of the year. Now, since we've kind of come out of the restrictions, the UK right now, we've just brought back masks. But aside from that, there's no restrictions here. There's no vax passports or anything like that. So it's kind of understandable why there is a lull now in the protest movement. But if... um, 
restrictions start coming back, there's no doubt in my mind that that protest movement will revitalize again quite quickly. Um, so it has been kind of surprising really to see what's been going on in, in Canada. I, I didn't know that Canada was so um, complacent as a society, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there's a lot of trust, um, unjustified trust in the government. I think you know we have socialized healthcare and, and socialized all these services. And I think for whatever reason, you know, the culture here is like that. And I, I agree, like there's less people vaccinated in the UK as compared, compared to Canada and Canada went through really early. So maybe some of this will wake people up. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Just might be the culture. So what is it like in Canada, generally speaking? Is it different by state or is it just a nationally you have the same rules? In terms of the restrictions? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they've rolled out um the passports at different paces um but just today they stopped any sort of international or uh, domestic travel if you don't have uh your, your vaccinations done um i think you're still able to fly to like countries like mexico that don't have any any restrictions so it is based upon the airline that you're flying with but generally speaking everywhere else you're you have to be vaccinated even within canada to move about which is kind of insane if you think about it. Um, but everyone seems to be on board with it. And a lot of people here, they're terrified, like especially the old, older generation, like they won't even see, they won't even see you if you're not vaccinated. Um, it's within families. There's such, um, I, I think media here is so hyper uh, polarized and it's all driven through like CBC is our main broadcasting channel and it's kind of funded by the government. So, and the CTV is, is just behind them and stuff like that. But all that media kind of is, is centered and people don't go anywhere else for their media. And they're driven, every day there's just fear um, spilling over through um, the channel, right? The first news thing that I talk about is like number of cases or the second new variant or some shit like that. And you talk to everybody and they've all watched, they all continue to watch kind of the news. Um, so I think that alternative media is missing in Canada. Uh, as opposed to elsewhere, even though we do have access to other people, other you know sources like Joe Rogan, that kind of thing, it's just not, um, especially the older generation, it's not part of like our our media feed, right? Um, that probably causes a problem. So, how has everyone responded to this new Omicron variant over there? Well, I mean, I think for for people around my age, they never gave a shit about any of this stuff. Um, and I've yet to talk to family members about, um, the Omicron stuff, but I, I generally sense that people are getting tired of, of things. They're getting kind of exhausted with the constant fear, even though they don't realize it, they kind of know that it's something's off and they're kind of, and I mean, say people that wear masks and like, they're, they're starting to like hug again and, and not really think about, um, the virus at all. So my, my sense is that by spring a lot of this stuff at least in people's minds will be done with and and then hopefully by next summer they'll kind of demand a permanent change I, we've been saying that for a while but I, I get that sense it's different now yeah i completely get that sense as well and over here in the uk it seems like we maybe are another kind of six months along from where you guys are and it definitely seems like here this omicron thing happened 
literally no one has brought it up. I'm still not sure I've had a conversation off Twitter about this thing. And this new Scarium was what brought out like four days ago, I think. Five, oh, it was, it was Friday, right? So four days ago. And I've still not heard a single person mention it. Like nobody gives a shit anymore here. Um, so ho- hopefully, hopefully that is the case. And I agree that next spring is going to be a kind of critical moment. I, I just think that people are going to probably just get through the winter one more time. Maybe people will get the boosters, but, and they, they obviously are. And there's going to be some people who just, they're just going to get every booster and they just, that's their life now that, you know, they've just, they've signed on Pfizer's dotted line and that's it. Their life is just getting a booster every three months and they're happy with that. And they're probably never coming back, but there is a lot of people who I think are like, you know, I took my two jabs. That was the deal. I took my two jabs and you know, this thing's over and we get back to, to normal. And um, I think the government thought they could keep moving the goalposts every single time. And they just thought, oh, well, we moved the goal. You know, we said it was just two weeks, and then it turned into three weeks and it turned into six weeks and then it turned into masks and then it was masks for kids and then it was this and then it was that. And I think that they just thought, well, they're just going to comply forever. And some people will, of course, but it does seem like a lot of people, even amongst the compliant, um, you know, that kind of 80% of compliant people who were queuing up to get the vaccine, it seems like even those people, a lot of them, they're drawing the line after the two jabs. They're like, that's it, no more, which is really positive to see. Yeah, but the question becomes if the government really presses their foot down and says, you think of the booster or otherwise you're cut off from society, will those same people be as fervent and like standing on the side of, of liberty um, and going out to protest and, and, and kind of defying the bans? The, the question is, are these people capable of, of taking a stand and I, I don't know yet i agree that is that is definitely the million dollar question is will are they going to go that far how far are they going to go because to be honest once you've already started to make a deal with the devil in terms of saying okay i'll get vaccines for this or for that or you know it seems to me like you're already on a slippery slope and i'm not sure how many people will stand by their kind of um conviction when they say i'm not getting the booster because like you said if the government bringing the restrictions, you know, a lot of people are um, probably going to comply. But, you know, my my theory is that, you know, let's like 80 people got the initial vaccine. Maybe they're going to get another 80% compliance for the booster. Okay, that's another yeah. 10 million people who who now are kind of on on team unvaxxed or whatever. Not that it's necessarily a team, but you're in that category, I guess. Yeah. And then maybe the next time they get another 80%, that's another 5 million people in the UK um, who's kind of moved over. So I just think you're going to get a, a general trickling of people who say no more until we become a majority. And with the uh, the frequency at which they're expecting people to take these boosters, like by next spring, there could be another two or three boosters. Like it, it seems like the amount of shots you're expected to take is going exponential. So when I was, you know, I, I, I actually joked before I was making jokes um, like quite early on in this and saying, oh, you know, when you're on your 87th booster or something by like I said something like you know when you're on your 87th booster by the year 2040 I'm hoping to still be on zero vaccines and that's starting to look like a pretty optimistic number given the number of boosters that they're introducing here I don't know what they're honestly I don't know if they're just like super incompetent or like it's it's deliberate um because it just doesn't make sense you have you have to know that people are not want to put up with this anymore you have to know that you're losing like the at the beginning they were like saying outside on our balconies clapping for doctors and like you know there was a lot of there was a there's a uh, you know uh camaraderie about it and and now you look at some of the 
the YouTube videos and the Twitter and like all the, the social media stuff below like mainstream media posts and just filled with like vitriol and, and anger. Um, and you have to, if you're somebody who is in a senior position, you have to feel this, do you know what I mean? And to continue making the same decisions despite the feedback you're getting is honestly, I don't know if it's incompetence, like I said, or if it's deliberate. Well, I think that you can, like, you know, people like us who have generally quite a skeptical view of governments, I think that this is kind of to be expected. Like these governments, they are trying to pull something off, which even a private, you know, even a really big private organization, like let's say, let's say Facebook or something was, was trying to pull off what they're trying to pull off, get everyone on in the world on this kind of digital ID, vaccine passport, uh, you know, social credit score system. Even if Facebook said, we're going to do this, there's no way they could do it by 2030 or whatever it is they want to achieve this in. Mm -hmm. And these governments who are incompetent at literally everything mm -hmm. have set yeah. themselves a completely unachievable deadline and as to be expected are screwing everything up. So I hope that this is going to be just like one of the biggest historical jokes possible where it's almost like the fall of an empire. It's just like they've just completely um, overestimated themselves. But as we know, governments are completely incompetent. It doesn't matter what, you know, Charles Schwab or, uh, you know, who is it? Klaus Schwab and um, Schwab, yeah. <laughs> Klaus Schwab and all of these kind of like, you know, World Economic Forum people who were just stood up there just like spouting nonsense. But these are the kind of people who, you know, you've you've worked in, in the tech world. Like you, you, you see these people um, and they, they never kind of really get anywhere. They just like use big words, but they don't really know what they're talking about. They use words like AI and stuff. And actually like these people aren't to be feared. Like this is something that I think people have got to actually start doing is not fearing these people who stand up and just because they're mingling with all these politicians who are generally a, a waste of space anyway, and you wouldn't even want to go for a drink with them, like let alone, you know, to kind of go into business with them. Um, so we shouldn't be afraid of these people. They are going to, uh, of course, screw things up. It's just, it's preordained in my view. It's just like, how bad does it have to get? And at what, at what point are people going to walk away rather than waiting for the whole thing to collapse under its own inefficiency? Yeah, exactly. And I, th and I think, I think people are waking up to the incompetence and, um, it, sh it should be interesting what will we kind of replace everything with or how, how we go about it. But I, I think there's certain city states that are stepping up to the plate, like Miami, for instance, um, state of Florida, and and you kind of see where where like El Salvador, where where people are kind of creating refuges right? for this kind of stuff and for this this sort of thought process, right? And and some of the power of these federal governments might shift to these um, city states, which was kind of talked about in uh, the sovereign individual. So should be interesting how play, how it plays out, man. Yeah, I really hope that, that does play out. And, you know, if anything, it's just accelerated something which I was expecting I probably wouldn't even see in my lifetime, which is a kind of citadel movement of some sort where we do shift to city states, which, um, you know, uh, kind of compete with each other. And it seems like that's been accelerated by about 100 years by all of this craziness. So that yeah, is yeah, definitely totally. one, one positive. Um, so you mentioned something a little bit before that I wanted to pick up on, which is you talked about your friends and family and having problems there in terms of like your beliefs. Is that something you're comfortable going into a bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I have a lot of people that are like, uh, one of my good group of friends is in a kind of traditional bank, the banking industry. And they already have problems with me talking about crypto all the time. Then because of all the stuff that happened with crypto doing so well, it's kind of like 
justifies my points and they kind of are, I don't know if they're bothered by that or not, but some of them certainly have a problem with my anti kind of government stance um, and my strong beliefs. And I think when this COVID thing hit, it kind of brought it all to a head because a lot of people are convinced they're doing the right thing by, by, you know, being vaccinated, uh, wearing masks, isolating and all that stuff. And they don't have all the information that, you know, me and you are getting in the Twitter sphere, which is, you know, an alternative viewpoint, right? They're fed the viewpoint that the, that the government wants people to see, that the media wants them to see. And I understand their frustration with me because I'm bringing all these random facts out, right? That they've never heard of, that seem like gibberish to them, that are going in very detailed, specific stuff. But then they talk to like their family doctor, they talk to this talk, they see the media and there's fear and there's recommendations to get the vaccination, to get to wear masks, all this kind of stuff. And and of course they're gonna trust people that have the credentials that I don't I don't have, right? But the problem with the internet is created democratized a lot of this information. And you can't you can no longer just depend on your um, credentials. I think people are still in, in that mindset and that, that thought process. So when I bring all these things to their attention, these in my family chat groups, they just, it's easier to label me as an anti-vaxxer than it is to dig into the material, understand what my concerns are about a lot of this stuff and, and, and question a lot of things, right? It's too much thought process, there's too much energy that, like I said, because I'm in crypto, we have that mental clarity, that mental space that free time to let us explore different topics. And they don't have that clarity and that free space to explore things, right? They're, they're working their nine to five, they're caught up in their life, right? And I just feel like an, an idiot that got lucky and, and is talking conspiracy shit. They, they immediately shift me on to the right, right wing people, right? You're either your left wing or your right wing, right? It's easier to bucket people because we have less time. So, you know, you, you try to educate them, but at the same time, it just sounds like gibberish sometimes. Do, do you get that feeling? Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, it's quite good that you can talk about it quite calmly. And it seems like you have a position of empathy towards them, which like is something that I'm kind of trying to do. But like, I've definitely had problems in this exact same regard. And like one friendship, which, you know, I would say I would say with most people, the topic has either been avoided or I know the people who I can talk about the topic with who kind of get it which is which is very few but you know um some of my friends are on do, do kind of get it uh but one friend in particular like you know it really came to a head and I'm, I'm not sure that that friendship is um uh what's the word is capable of being redeemed basically like i think it's, it's basically done yeah i have the same thing i've, I've had i've had two relationships that have, that have pretty much been kaput um within that friends group that i have um, sometimes like, sometimes we grow as people, right. And some people who don't grow with us and you kind of just have to accept it. And, you know, you've made friends with new people, unfortunately. Right. And I, I was going to talk about this in this talk as well, that I feel like the internet has created a problem for us because it, historically we had, we had our small communities. We used to travel around with all our thinking was the same. We weren't exposed to new ideas. We didn't have friends from outside of that sphere 
And now we've created a situation where people who are closest to us physically that we interact with all the time are not necessarily the same space mentally. And that creates a lot of friction in society in general. I don't know if humans were meant to kind of scale the way we've been scaling. Possibly not, but you could you could also argue that the internet has enabled us to find people who are more like-minded to us and then congregate with those other people. It seems to me that so far the story of the internet is that we've kind of still remained um, in different places. Uh, you know, you not that many people have said, okay, these are my internet friends and I'm going to go and be with these people and I'm going to go and live with them and I'm going to be physically near to them. It's kind of you have those online relationships but generally you're still living either in the country you were born or you know maybe maybe you moved to a different country to work or whatever but it's not generally because you have an internet community whereas now it seems like we've got um a situation a political situation which has um kind of it's made us realize that there is a r- a kind of rift um philosophically which is very very difficult to kind of bridge because, you know, when one person is saying, you know, like as a libertarian myself, my view has always been the non-aggression principle. That is kind of the underpinning um, philosophy that I go by, which is, you know, that you don't um, aggress against someone else. And obviously you have your property rights protected, but also your person being the key property, the key property, which shouldn't be infringed by someone else. And when you have one group of people saying, well, um, you know, you have to do this, you know, you, first of all, it's you have to wear a mask, which is relatively harmless in the grander scheme of things although it ha- you know i i accept that it's definitely not harmless when it comes to the actual psychological component and you know how it kind of amplifies fear etc but when it comes to and it was always going to come to uh, that that same argument you know where a mass to protect others was going to be take the facts to protect others and that is a complete impasse where when you have one section of society which is saying we're going to take away all of your fundamental freedoms you're not going to be able to go to work you're not going to be able to feed your kids you're not going to be able to go and do the things you enjoy um you know in in austria you at one point you could actually go and work in a cafe but you couldn't go and sit in that cafe you know this is just absolute craziness and you it's it's impossible to have a society amongst those people and this is i think why you're starting to see in america it's fracturing by state and you have a lot of people who are moving for instance from the blue states uh, to the red states generally doesn't seem to be going the other way which i think is quite a uh, an interesting fact of the matter but um that said america seems to be allowing at least for people to just say look we can't live beside people who have a completely different philosophy which infringes on my bodily autonomy yeah. and i think that that is just it's very obvious that this is going to um ripple across the entire world and um i think that everyone after this event having seen one section of society um try to segregate them um i'm okay with the segregation now it's like it's like i I just want it to be a mutual segregation that i don't want to live around people who are going to force me to take a vaccine i don't want to take and uh you can go and live in places that you can force each other just give me an option and that's all i want you know just give me an option and i'm sure that that is the case for a lot of people you know i would leave a job for that i would leave a country for that um there is just a fundamental principle there that um i'm okay with society fracturing i don't want violence i don't want you know um i don't want necessarily um any kind of conflict there i just want the ability to live separately from people who want to take away my bodily autonomy and take away my uh, right to my own freedoms um so i was going to ask you um your family and your family what's their stance on all this stuff because it's, it's harder to uh, obviously replace family whereas friends can kind of be shifted right 
Yeah, I mean, so far within my family, um, it's been very amicable. I think that my family, generally speaking, uh, although they've been much more kind of pro taking the vaccine, um, nobody has really, nobody has tried to encourage me to take it. You know, I mean, I was quite clear early on that I didn't want to take this vaccine and I kind of expressed my reasons for that, you know, uh, mainly being that I'm not at risk of this um, of this virus and that I don't uh, believe that we know the full safety profile of these uh, vaccines, <laughs> and in, in which case uh, the trade-off is not a good one for me. And um, it's been generally accepted. I haven't had any kind of uh, fallouts. I know that my family have some different um, viewpoints on this. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, things have been pretty amicable. Like I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, my, even my family, you know, they're pretty open to whatever my choices are, but um, you know, the worry comes, comes from outside, I guess. Right. Um, my grandparents worry and that kind of stuff. So no easy solution. Yeah, there's not. And, you know, I mean, I, I definitely try to be empathetic as well because, you know, like, like you said, like we are looking at information that is completely different. And if you are just sitting glued watching the mainstream media, you are going to be just fed propaganda. Like uh, that is really what it is. Like it's propaganda. And um, so I can kind of forgive people for, for being um, extremely afraid of this thing. Um, but it does seem now it's getting quite late in the day to really have that as an excuse, you know, because it's like you've had a lot of time to really understand this. And I think at a certain point, people have got to start recognizing that their own experience of this thing, what they're seeing with their own eyes and what they're hearing with their own ears is completely contradicting the narrative. You know, if if this virus was as the news would have us believe, there would be, you know, bodies in the street. Like they've almost from day one been presenting it like it's that level of a threat. And um, at some point people are going to have to be like, why haven't I seen bodies on the street yet? Why, why don't I know anyone who has died from this thing who isn't, you know, I mean, I, I don't know anyone who's died from it, generally speaking, but um, even people who have, generally that's someone who's really old or they've got some other disease. Like at some point people are going to have to say, why don't I know a 30-year-old a or a 40-year-old who's just died of coronavirus? If this is a risk, like, um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how, I, I'm, I'm sure that propaganda has a lifeline. I just don't know exactly where it ends yet. Well, I don't know if you read it, like in the book, uh, 1984, he said that the Ministry of Truth's final like uh, request, right, was that you ignore what your eyes and ears were telling you, and you listen to what they were telling you, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm paraphrasing without without referencing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I think I think a lot of people will, you know, kind of commit to that lie, right, and they will ignore what they see um, right until the very end. It definitely seems that way. I mean, I haven't actually read um, George Orwell or um, who's the other one? There's another author. Is it the one who did Brave um, New World? Aldous Huxley. Yeah, exactly. I, I haven't read it, but like everything that I've seen in terms of little quotes and snippets seems to me like they were bang on the money. Oh, they nailed it. Well, I, I, haven't, I haven't read it myself like in full, but I have read the Cole's notes and yeah, I mean, so many things are being pulled straight from that book, you know, those books. Um, and they kind of just saw like the trend where it was headed, right? I think Brave New World is more about, uh, I think it's almost more accurate where, where society is like um, almost mesmerized by uh, uh, entertainment and enjoyment. Um, 
as opposed to fear. And they're just kind of like dumbed down that way. And I feel like that's our society, right? We're just kind of dumbed down with whether it's like all the opioids or with like TV or Netflix, all that kind of stuff. We're constantly fed a stream of, of, of mind numbing stuff that doesn't make us want to do anything else. Right. Or question anything or just feed me, feed me straight into my veins for entertainment. Right. Yeah. It's eerily similar. I mean, the, the sci-fi writers and filmmakers, et cetera, like they all just seem to have really got it like to a, to a crazy degree. I, I mean, we, it, it's strange that we're living in this now because we've kind of grown up and certainly I've grown up watching these things and it was always fiction. And now it's like, wow, like this actually can come in, come to fruition. You actually can, um, have the situation. I mean, it, it's, I almost look at the, the kind of really deep kind of COVID believer, you know, the people who are really, they, they're totally fearful and they're wearing two masks and they've taken every vaccine and they've stayed home and isolated and they won't see anyone and they're just peering out the curtain and stuff like, it's almost as if they, I, I really think that it's a cult. Like this is what it looks like when a cult goes mainstream, basically like COVID, is, <laughs> you know, we've never had a cult that's taken over a majority before. Normally yeah. cults have been, a, been in pockets, you know, you've had, um, I don't want to. I don't want to name the cult we're both thinking of because you know I don't want them to come after me. But <laughs> but you know, like normally, normally it's happening in in pockets. But now we've had a cult that's kind of taken over, seemingly uh, a majority of the population, and it's like the the minority of us are looking at this yeah. thing and going, "Wow, this is this is completely crazy." But um, you know, I, I guess sci- science fiction can come true. Yeah, I think science has really kind of replaced religion, right? We've kind of said. You know, and a lot of people in public, they just say it's the science or they just, they refer to it as like a now and now, right. As, yep. a, as, as if it's finalized as if, you know, it's the definitive answer as opposed to what the scientific process actually is, is constantly questioning what is the current accepted thesis. That's what science is, right? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, and you know, for people who haven't read much on history, they might not see these kind of parallels. But if you look at the kind of stuff that happened in Nazi Germany, I know that that's obviously, you know, the, the cliche thing to do is to is to draw parallels to Nazi Germany, but it's not stated enough just how like obsessed they were with aspects of science. You know, medical experimentation was at the heart of what they were doing. They were doing, um, you know, eugenics, like the whole, the entire Nazi doctrine was based upon eugenics. Like this was a scientific idea. Um, so science doesn't, you know, science and morality aren't the same thing. You can, they're completely different. And um, you can have these things which stem from science, which turn into complete dystopias. Everything that stems from science isn't just, oh, this is progress and this is the future, etc. Like you can have science, which can be incredibly dark. It all depends on the way that you interpret it and the way that you try to steer society based upon it. Yeah, and I do wonder if a lot of this stuff is just cyclical, you know what I mean? Like, I almost feel like society needs, or the human, the human consciousness needs a purge every 100 years when they shift too far in one direction, you know what I mean? Where they shift too far towards science and they need more um, culture and arts and, and thing. And I feel like something about the human emotional system or the human psyche that perhaps this is all inevitable right this this um this transition this re- rebirth regrowth i don't know if you read like the fourth turning that kind of thing 
No, I've, I've not read it yet. It's on my list there. Maybe this is just like a generational transition that um, we unfortunately have been, you know, born into uh, my generation, your generation. I assume you're the same age as me. Um, so, you know, something, something we have to go through that it's a hero's journey as they call it in the book. Right. Yeah. And it does seem that generations previous to ours have generally, I mean, certainly my parents' generation, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the, the situation was with, with your parents, but they had it pretty good. Like, you know, I'm sure they would probably even say, I mean, okay, there was um, issues in terms of uh, like um, probably more, more kind of like poverty and things like that. But in terms of a massive global event, which, you know, like really the last thing that we had was was probably the Second World War. Since the Second World War, even the wars have been external to the country. We've not really had something which is completely infringed on human freedom. We've not had to face an enemy in this kind of way before. So um, I guess, you know, it always is going to necessarily come back around and you just have to kind of fight the war that's in front of you. And that's kind of where I feel that we are now. So with that said, um, I just want to finish on a few ideas that maybe you have that we can actually kind of get ourselves out of the situation. Where do you, what do you think that we can be doing and where do you see society going over the next kind of few months? Because, I mean, you mentioned that you are like positive that maybe by kind of next spring, we're going to start coming out of this. So what do you hope we're going to see as we kind of hopefully reach the tail end of this craziness? Yeah, good question, man. I don't know how I don't know how it all would play out. I mean, I thought it would be over in a year, and, and here we are two years later. But I, I like I said, I, I think people are kind of getting fed up. And what I'd like to see from more people around me, specifically in Canada, is doing away or just um, almost like ignoring what what is being told, what is being asked of them on a, on a larger scale, whether that's not wearing masks. It's all the small things that add up to something big, right? You know, don't ask your neighbor what their status is. Don't ask if a person has been vaccinated if they go into a restaurant. Don't wear a mask in public and you show up to other people that they can, you know, let go of that fear uh, as well, right? Um, and I think... I, I don't believe it's going to come from the top down. They seem to want to continue what is happening and it's really going to have to come from the populace getting fed up. Um, and then on, on a kind of a grander scale, I, I think we need to think more locally. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to depending on other countries to other, other, other places to get us our, 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 our needs. And, our, and I think a lot of the interconnectedness between different places in the world has created a situation where we're almost dependent on them and we'll give up some of our rights and freedoms to appease that other, other group, right? And I think that we need to think more locally in that respect to rebuild, build, rebuild some of that robustness in society. Um, but yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Like, it's been awesome to finally chat after kind of following each other on Twitter for so long and, uh, and like actually have a real conversation. So can you just let people know where they can find you before we, uh, before we wrap this up? Yeah. Just, uh, you know, find me on Twitter is probably the best place. I'm still pretty active on there. It's, uh, Imran E. Um, and, uh, yeah, happy to chat with like-minded people, of course. Cool, man. Well, really appreciate it and uh, speak to you again soon. All right. Take care.